Hello and welcome to Reboot Higher Ed. So today we're going to be discussing some white paper that was just sent out, released. Uh, those that work in the higher education space and uh, are commonly maybe looking at a couple different publications have probably seen this. So Secretary DeVos and the Education Department officials have given us a just a broad outline uh, for accreditation reform. So I wanted to break down uh, the proposal. I, w I really just today just wanted to focus on one of those pieces that I think uh, can greatly impact uh, the adult learners, uh, adult learners, working learners uh, coming back uh, for degree completion. So the accreditation system, just a quick review, you know, this, the, so an institution is, is regularly assessed by an independent agency on the quality of education provided in, simple, in just the most simple terms. And uh, those that, uh, you know, work in higher ed, you know, there's two, they know this, but if you're listening and you don't work in higher ed, awesome, because it's great you're learning something that has to do with uh, higher education. Maybe you have a student uh, that you love and care about that is making the transition back into the classroom or leaving one institution and, and transferring to another. So these are very important topics that uh, we all have to be aware of. But there's two types of uh, – uh, so in, within the accreditation system, there are two types. So you have your institutional, and that's the entire college or university. So the institutional uh, accrediting body, and then you also have the program-based, and those are going to that's related to the individual programs. Um, so you'll see that there's a lot of uh, programs. If you go on a website, even for a college or university, they're going to have a lot of their program-based uh, accreditation. Uh, on their marketing materials and everything because those that are especially seeking licensure if you're in the healthcare field uh, there's going to be specific program based accreditations you want to know that there's an agency overseeing what the college or university is doing and following the best practices uh, you know that are drivers of student success and um, those agencies also so they assess the programs faculty and then student success just to determine if the standards are being met uh, for higher education and this assessment ha happens on uh, is a regular assessment uh, big thing that we all know about you know the accreditation is uh, college and universities cannot participate in federal student aid title IV funding programs unless they're accredited so if a program is not accredited uh, can it exist yes competing for students very difficult however because there cannot be any financial aid uh, students can use uh, to attend uh, that said program at uh, specific universities. So <clears throat> now, the uh, you know there are some differences uh, in the, so the two agencies that many of us that work in the higher education space, especially front end uh, in admissions advising uh, with the consulting with the students, uh, we get many of the same questions uh, regarding accreditation. Uh, some of those, you know, are students that will just ask you, "Hey, so are you accredited?" and um, you know, they, they, they don't know much about it, so obviously we have to do a better job of educating those that don't work in higher education, but more of the prospective students, the adult learners coming back to school, what accreditation really means and what it means to them um, and why it's important they pay attention to that. Um, so along, you know, sub-question with that question is, you know, if they've already attended a, another college or university, that there is a... Uh, you know, there's a regional accreditation and there's a national accreditation, right? So historically, regionally accredited schools, college universities, so regionally accredited institutions, excuse me, uh, don't accept national, they don't accept credits from nationally accredited institutions. 
So that's just something that is a very common conversation that happens on the front end within uh, college admissions and uh, advising. So you're, you're speaking to students, and they, they've taken these classes, they've invested in their education, and it was through a nationally accredited school, and now they're coming to your school. It's a regionally accredited, um, and it's, you know, many times handled as just a blanket statement of when it's asked. So do you all accept credits from this school? And it's a nationally accredited school, and the answer is no many times. Uh, th- th- they don't get too far into the weeds on a lot of those questions. Just said, no, we don't accept those credits from that school. It's understood. And thus, many students, um, you know, they've already started borrowing money. They've already... They're, they're going through the whole process, and they're looking to go forward into a four-year university. Uh, and it, there can be some problems uh, with that. If you think about that student and what they're going through at that time, uh, transferring into university, obviously there's going to be some loopholes and things they're going to have to jump through and some classes they've already believe they've completed, um, and now they, they're under, they are aware and, and are understanding that there are some classes they're going to have to take over. You could have a student jump back almost uh, two, one to two academic years at that point. So let's jump into the proposal, and I'm just going to read it verbatim. Uh, proposal number three in the, in the white paper, and again, the link is in the show notes. So increase academic and career mobility for students by eliminating artificial boundaries between institutions due to credential levels an institution offers or the agency that accredits the institution or its programs. So uh, barriers are identified within the uh, white paper, and, the, and that is uh, regionally accredited institutions to accept transfer credits from nationally accredited institutions or enroll graduates of nationally accredited institutions in higher level credential programs. Um, and then, again, I'm taking this from the white paper uh, provided. In some cases, genuine differences among institutional learning objectives and pedagogy may limit the transferability of credits. However, it should never be the case that institutional elitism, elitism sorry, and historical hierarchies alone make it unnecessarily difficult for transfer students, mid-career professionals, and veterans to obtain uh, a post-secondary credential. So that's the proposal, uh, number th- the third proposal. Now, as I said, this is a very broad outline. So within this proposal, you know, we're not getting into... Uh, tactical pieces of how uh, this is going to be handled. But, you know, again, with our experience in this uh, space, uh, it's very, it's one of those things that uh, it's always the elephant in the room because you, you commonly, if you're working in the higher ed, working in higher ed and on the front end, uh, let's say within the admissions office, uh, there are times where you're going to ask, well, why? Why don't we accept these? Because, because you, you, you have that relationship with the student, and it's a very difficult conversation to have because the student's providing you their academic history, and you know you notice some of the schools on there. And let's face it, many of us that work in that field uh, have those four, like the nationally accredited schools, which you know many of them, those are for-profit schools. Now, there's according to the National Center for Education Statistics, there's approximately 3,200 for-profit institutions in the United States, and that's as, as of 2015. So that number obviously could maybe has decreased a little bit. I know there's been some that uh, are no longer around, but there's still plenty that are, and we will see students from the uh, that are coming from a for-profit. Typically, they do have the nationally uh, that that are nationally accredited. Uh, 
move, you know, move into the uh, regionally accredited institution. So, you know, and I'm not here to, to, to go and, and pick apart one's better than the other. Uh, I think each serves a different purpose. The only explanation that, I was, that I've ever received on this is, you know, for those that are going to nationally accredited institutions, you always should be checking with the uh, regionally accredited school. If you have that as top of mind of, of a place that institution you do want to transfer and uh, complete your degree at, uh, you definitely should contact that school uh, and figure that path out. However, we're talking about college students here, um, adult learners. So you have traditional and non-traditional. Um, there's many times that the step is taken, and it's such a big step for them anyways, that some of, that, some of those questions and uh, the trajectory of uh, starting and, and going back to school and where they want to end up uh, can kind of go by the wayside because many are just going to assume that, obviously, this will be taken care of. I'm going to school. Uh, you know, that these two agencies, the national accreditation, national accreditation and then also regionally accreditation, they, uh, you know, and uh, the umbrella that they have over those uh, agencies within those accreditations, uh, they assume, okay, you're accredited, great, let's move on with the process. Yes, I get federal funding, there's an agency that's governing this, so everything should check out. However, you know, I do understand what they're saying when they talk about the elitism, um, that they, uh, you know, that's an anecdotal view that I can't say that's for every school, but I, I could see if I was in that spot that I would think that, oh, okay, since you're a big four-year university or, uh, you know, you're a private university, you're not going to accept these credits. However, as a student, I paid for them. I know the class is difficult. I took it and I want it to transfer into your school. Uh, it's, that's a difficult conversation to have with an individual, um, you know, my, my, my reason for bringing this piece up is because with adult learners, there are many that have gone and have a mixed variety, like a mixed bag of, I've done some community college credit, I did some online school, and yeah, so some of those are nationally accredited, some of them were regionally accredited. Um, no matter what, I still borrowed money and did well, and uh, just never finished, life happened, and I'm trying to get back uh, and to my degree completion. So... Knowing that this is coming and the reform and the proposals out there, I think that it's a conversation that, you know, if we're, because if this is going to work, if there is going to be some reform, it's, it, this can't be a reform just on one end, obviously. It can't be, well, all regionally accredited schools just need, need to do a better job of, of, of taking those credits in. Because here's, here's the big picture, too, that we also have to discuss is, okay, so if you went to a school and it was a nationally accredited school and uh, the rigor in the classroom, you know, I'll just use one, I'll use, uh, let's say, anatomy and physiology. You took anatomy and physiology at a, uh, a nationally accredited school and now you're going into... Uh, four-year institution, and you meet them uh, the standards, uh, just the university standards of uh, entering the university. But within the program, uh, they're saying, ah, anatomy and physiology, and you took it, and they're going to ask for a course description and an outline of that course. And really what they want to see too is the, the rigor that was in the course that you took. Is it comparable? Now, is that being elite? No, that's not being elite. What that's doing is saying, hey, so we know, we know that that class that you took there is a lot different than the the class that is taught here by these instruct by this these faculty. Now, a lot of that's debatable, and I understand that it, again, this is a difficult conversation to have. 
but this is so this is where it's going to be very difficult and i'm just using highlighting this as a something i know that happens um it's it's going to be very debatable it's going to be hard to kind of uh monitor that it's going to be very difficult because what we don't want is to accept credits and pull a student in knowing that persistence is going to be a problem um, going from a nationally accredited to a regionally accredited. Now, it's not one size fits all either. There's going to be some programs that it's working fine. And if it is, one of those, one of the th things I would do is make sure that the, the pipeline is there and, and well developed for that student to to move in, you know, the, from the two-year, let's say they finish with their associate's degree into the four-year. Um, but again, we're, what only thing I've ever been told that a lot of times with the nationally accredited schools is they, they were set up to start and finish. It wasn't used as a stepping stone into the four-year university. That being said, we have to educate prospective students and adult learners. If you're going to go to this school and it's a nationally accredited school, um, it's not made as a, just a, maybe as a community college would be, to uh, take these, you know, take these classes here, and those are automatically going to transfer into the maybe the state university in your area. Um, there's not maybe our agreements in place. There's no uh, articulation agreements in place. I think that's where it's going to have to start. That you know that the institutions are going to have to start getting together. Uh, if this proposal is coming down the pipeline, just have our sit down and conversation of, okay, so let's get some articulation agreements w going with some of the nationally accredited schools um, that we typically see students transferring from. Okay, now you can look at your four year institution data and look to see the students that are coming from the schools we typically see in the transcripts that are coming from nationally accredited schools, how are those transferring to university? Are those students persisting? And are they graduating? And what programs are they typically transferring into? Um, then you go back and you work from there. That's at least a starting point. Again, I, I am you know, just kind of relaying information and through my experiences. So many of you might have different experiences with this. Um, and there's some really some... Uh, heart-wrenching stories out there sometimes of what happens to students when this does occur and you know we definitely want to have something that we already are start working on so we can get ahead of this before it comes down before that conversations gets into the, the into the small and tactical pieces um and we can you know obviously this is an issue and it's been an ongoing one for since i can remember it and we could do a better job of it you know, because, you know, you could set a standard to say, you know, these classes do, these classes do not, right? And if they don't, well, sometimes you got to get faculty members and those the, the program together with the, the program at the other school. If these students are going to be making their way to our university, we might as well just figure out how to make that uh, something that can actually work for them instead of work against them. And also just do a better job of educating the adult learners, uh, you know, the working learners going back to school uh, of what that pathway would be like if you did go to this school. So here's what we accept from said school to make it more transparent because many times prospective students, the adult learning students, when they're coming back to school and they've gone to other schools, it's, it's typically that some of those credits that they took from that school, have, have it's been a long time anyways. Um, and I don't know if it becomes such an issue since it, those, those classes were taken so long ago. Uh, however, when a student is making, like, let's say right now they're at a nationally accredited school, it's not working out for them, and they come to your school. Well, 
let's let's say they're you know they got 3.0 4.0 they're they're doing well they expect that um they're going to pick up from where they started and that's not the case so if somehow we can get together to start making sure that students are aware ahead of time that some of this is uh you know already arranged so this is the pathway much like articulation agreements are done with uh, community colleges uh then we can have those discussions uh, now, instead of at the point when someone's in the admissions office or in the advising center uh, or the, the center for your, the, your, your transfer students that you might have at your university, you don't want the discussion to happen there. It's not going to be perfect, but I think if we start meeting and uh, looking to see how we can meet those needs now, it, this, this is about the student. It's about the student, all right? Elit elitism aside, you know, the bureaucracy, the red tape and higher ed, uh, whether it's you're at a two-year, a for-profit, or a non-profit, this is about you know that 36 million some college no-degree students. If they're going to make their way back, and we really want to assist with this, we have to do a better job of educating students, um, the adult learners, on how to go back to school and what they should be looking for, the questions they should be asking. Uh, you know, there's there, there's a lot of data out there. You know, uh, the Council for Higher Education Accreditation. Uh, you know, this is from them. So 98% of all regionally accredited schools are degree granting. On the other hand, 34.8% of nationally accredited schools grant degrees. So this is a, an important a distinction if you're hoping to earn a degree that's recognized by other institutions and employers. Uh, you know, so is, you know, there's, there's plenty of uh, schools out there that I know have already started working with uh, some of the nationally accredited schools to have that pathway developed, or they already have something in place um, that they're they're ready to to kind of explain to the student. Um, and I think if you can explain and you're transparent on that process instead of just a blanket no, it's well it's better received, um, and where you can actually kind of educate your staff on to on how to communicate that, especially those that are out there in community. Um, at you know if if, if it's at a uh, one of those workforce development uh, trade shows or uh, th uh, career development places or, or events. Um, people are going to come and say, hey, I went to this school. Can I, my credits transfer? Instead of just a blanket no, let's at least, let's start, see, you know, I know that we could get that institutional data together and really kind of see where these students are coming from and really start having that conversation. And then we need to start getting uh, faculty involved uh, with faculty from the other schools um, and talk about that transition. I you know, and maybe I'm just speaking in a utopian manner here. They're like, that's just like not going to happen. But, you know, why are we all here? Why are we all doing this? Uh, for one reason, for the prospective student, for the student, for the graduates of our, our universities and colleges. So it's all about the, the, the people that make up our institutions. And many times that means us at higher levels just need to have a sit down and actually look at this. I wanted to talk about this proposal Um you know, specifically because I think it could impact adult learners um, and the institutions that, that serve uh, adult learners, that underserved population, as we begin to assess, you know, how, you know, how adult-friendly are we? And I think that starts from the get-go. I'm not saying that all regionally accredited schools, no matter what, need to take credits from nationally accredited schools. Um, but what I am saying is I do think we have to have the conversation and get down into the weeds and, and have some kind of uh, plan in place to better assist those students instead of just a blanket no, uh, you need to register for many of those classes you took and start over from scratch. Um, 
I, I would not expect that student to start, persist, or graduate from that four-year university. So it's really uh, not working in anyone's favor, not assisting anyone. So uh, that's all for today on Reboot Higher Ed. I do thank you for tuning in. And uh, we'll have other, um, I'll be breaking down some other pieces of this. But this is the one I wanted to just to jump on today for the accreditation reform. Uh, have it, this is, this, you know, this is an agnostic viewpoint. Um, I just wanted to kind of state some facts and then some solutions and some steps we can start taking uh, to break this down into manageable pieces for everyone to understand and then just begin working together uh, on the one benefit, and that is the future uh, graduate of your college or university. Thank you. Love this episode of Reboot Higher Ed Podcast? Well, head over to iTunes or Google Play to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.